becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Okay. All right. We're ready. I think so. Yeah. We're settled. I'm not like a hundred percent ready. No. But I I can't think of anything to get me more ready. Well, I think it's because we have to say to the shores. That's right. (laughs) To the shores. (laughs) To the shores. (laughs) Cheers. <clears throat> Where do you want to go? We both are Where do you want to jump time? in? <laughs> well, I was just going to say that there, there's something about that. Like you're never, you're never ready for anything, really. There's some part of it that you have to just kind of jump into it, right? I mean, there's preparation, there's study, there's uh, research, but <clears throat> when it comes down to it, you really just have to kind of get out there. I think you wrote something about that in your. Uh, um, your subs, your Substack today. Did I today? Um, yeah. Oh, about, about being com- finished completeness. Completeness. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like if you evaluate anything for completeness, and I was writing about that about uh, song songwriting, making music, mm-hmm. trying to determine when something's complete is well, it's it's not an objective sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There isn't really such a state as complete. There's just a state at which you say, okay, I'm going to stop trying to improve it. Is that like a feeling for you? Or is mm-hmm. it something that after, after so many edits that you, it sort of creates itself? Um, well, I think you, it's something that requires practice mm-hmm. actually, because so this would be true of any creative act for me, songwriting or just writing in general could be a poem. It could be a short story or an essay or something Mm -hmm. like, when is it done? It's done when you say it is. And generally that takes a number of revisions and rewrites and reorganizations. And sometimes often you can like overdo that. And all of a sudden it starts getting worse and you go Mm -hmm. listen to some previous version of the song or read some previous version of the, the essay. And you're like, shoot, that's way better. Mm-hmm. I like totally missed the mark, you mm-hmm. know, and wasted a bunch of time. Yeah. So you have to, I guess, learn when that is, I think it's more of a, it's more of learning yourself. Like what am I comfortable with? At what point does this have value that I feel like, okay, it's time for this to be shared. It's time for this to be read by other people or heard by other people. It seems like there's a certain amount of you have to feel stretched and almost just done with it. <clears throat> yeah. Because I think on the opposite end of that, I think of my kids or Austin <laughs> when he does something and it's it's sort of like it's a first effort and you're just like, no, you try it again. <laughs> and there's something about <clears throat> you learn that. I mean, I've written many things that when I was younger that I thought was completely amazing. And then two months later, that is complete shit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, it is, it's mostly a game of like trying to corral how you feel about yourself Mm -hmm. and all of it can have a, a real muting effect. Like if you, 
feel like you're working hard at something and it's getting worse, you mm-hmm. might give up. Or if you write something you think it's really good and then you go back and read it later and you think it's shit, you're like, I'm shit and I don't even know it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And that can have a muting effect, like I'm just not going to do this thing anymore, mm-hmm. you know. Or you were saying something earlier about, um, you know, feeling like you were doing a lot of things, so many things that you're not doing them as well as you could have, mm-hmm. could be. Yeah. That can have the same effect. Mm-hmm. But then there's a question of like, well, so we we started talking about not being ready and you're never really ready. Sort of like you're never really complete or, or, uh, a, a, something that you're creating isn't really ever complete. You just decide like we do with the podcast. Mm-hmm. We're just going to hit record and try and see what happens and see if we can be like a creative part of that. Um, I lost my train of thought how I was going to tie that to what you were saying about (laughs) not being ready or uh, not doing things as well as you could. Well, Uh, we can keep dancing around it because I think there's a lot of things to kind of suss out of this because there's a part too, like where when you're an amateur or starting something for the first time, there's something beneficial of just putting it out there, even if it is bad or shit or whatever, because it's a, it's a part of that process. It's not, it's not complete because you'll come back to it and refine it. And then maybe the next thing you do, you'll, you'll have learned something from the thing you did before, but if you didn't put it out there, then it wouldn't have been a part of that growth process. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there's kind of the, the, the old adage that, uh, you have to be kind of somewhat naive when you start businesses Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if you really knew what it all, what it took to start a business, you wouldn't do it. Right. And so there's a little naivety that you also have in the creative process that you kind of have to have in order to put something out in the world. Mm hmm. I, I guess maybe over the weekend I watched that movie. Uh, my brain is not working well tonight. <laughs> <clears throat> um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Oh, I've a star back is born. A star is born. That's yeah. so good. Really good. Really hard to watch. Really painful, but mm-hmm. also very, very uh, powerful. The acting that's amazing. It's yeah. super impressive. There's that scene where he meets her mm-hmm. and she sings him part of this song in the parking lot. And then that night he flies her to his show and then basically says, come on stage and sing that song. I worked up a rendition of it and you can see her on the side of the stage. Like, no, but actually like begging with him. Don't, don't make me do this. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> they hadn't practiced. She didn't know this was going to happen. She wasn't, she's was a nobody. And there's this moment and her, the way she acts it is so good because there's this moment where she just like, you see her face turn and she just takes a step out onto the stage. Mm. And it's like, at that moment, everything changes for her. I'll give it chills. Yeah. <laughs> but she said she wasn't ready. You know, she wasn't ready. She wasn't complete. The song wasn't complete, mm-hmm. but she stepped out and said, yes. Mm. And something erupted out of her. Like she was let loose. Mm. Her, her creative spirit was let loose. And that's what, kind of makes that scene so powerful. So I think there's a a necessity to when you don't feel done or you don't feel ready at some point, you have to have the courage to say, well, 
yes. Mm. And maybe somebody's asking you and you need to say yes to them. Or maybe it's, you know, we're not quite prepared like we'd like to be for this podcast. Well, let's just hit record mm-hmm. and go where it takes us. Yeah, there's something about that. It must be something with the, like the taking action. Like if you act in the world, you're going to get feedback and you're going to get some sort of, whatever you're acting in the world will then be reflected back to you. And that's like information. So if you don't ever act in the world, you never get that feedback or that information. Uh, You know, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of people have a million great ideas, but until you put them out into the world and, and get the feedback of, you know what? That is shit. Hey, that's good. It needs some improvement or what the hell just came out of you. Yeah. And you're in danger of all three or more of those types of reactions. Um, but the important part is, is putting it out there. I mean, even like where you go to your kids recitals or first time they play softball or whatever it might be. And you could probably say like, man, those kids are shitty. But at the same time, you're like, they're just learned softball. And actually it's amazing that they just hit the ball or right. caught that fly ball. It, it was like Gibbs and uh, what's his name? LA Dodgers. When he hit the home run and everyone's like, Whoa, won the world series. It was a long time ago. I have no <laughs> idea about that. It's the only baseball thing I know. So. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's something about that these kids are going out and their first time playing a game and you can't judge them by, you know, a a major league baseball player. Hmm. This actually ties into the conversation you you and I were having about Sam Harris earlier. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, Oh, interesting. That's good. So Sam Harris was recently on Lex Friedman's podcast and it's like four hours long. I'm three and a half hours into it. It's taken me several days. And there's something about Sam, you know, and I've looked up to Sam and respected him a lot for a long time. And over the last two years, that's kind of changed a little bit. And I realized something as I was listening to him speak at length with, with Lex, which is that he reminds me of a character in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Hmm. So in The Great Divorce, the main character goes to a place called Graytown, which is essentially hell or and or purgatory however you want to categorize it but it's a place that is ever expanding and he describes it as uh if you're if you're ever annoyed with your neighbor you can just move like it's it there's no limits to you just moving and this guy's explaining to the main character Napoleon Bonaparte actually lives here, but at this point he's moved so far out of town that you could never reach him, even if you traveled forever to get there. Mm-hmm. This idea that hell is some kind of self-isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something in Sam and the way that he's thinking and the way that he's responding to those around him that is, it, it, his thinking seems that way to me. Like there isn't anything redemptive in it. He just keeps moving further and further away from those who would challenge him or disagree with him. Mm -hmm. He seems to say, if you disagree with me, 
well, then you're clearly not qualified to be discussing the topic at hand, so I'm just going to dismiss you. Mm. And at this point, I feel like he's dismissed kind of a lot of the main intellectual voices and is standing ever increasingly on his own. And at some point, what position he has doesn't matter. What position he takes on issues doesn't matter if he's not willing to talk to anyone about them. Mm. Like, if he's not willing to say yes to having... Well, to, to what he doesn't know will happen. So, for instance, he, he kind of discusses this in the podcast, but he's at odds with, I guess, Brett Weinstein and Elon Musk right now. And he's just basically saying there's no point in talking to them about these things. And, you know, what conversation and what good would come, what creative revelation or help to those that would listen because there's a lot of people that would listen mm -hmm. what good would come if he just said yes to that rather than intellectually i'm above it and i'm over it and i'm moving on yeah it's too good for them mm -hmm. <clears throat> what's interesting there's two aspects to this is one is when someone gets so narrow-minded and focused and so in this way i i kind of agree with sam that it's not worth my time to continue to pursue this person. You think you think of like a drug addict or an alcoholic. You can be there for them, but to try to to try to help them, they they don't want your help. And I feel like Sam's saying that to, in this instance, you know Brett and Elon. Like he's saying, I don't want your help. Well, he, he's saying he's, he's basically sees them as the drug addict or the, the alcoholic not worthy of the help. Yeah. It's like, I can't help you because you're not, you're not willing to listen to me. And I'm saying this in, because it's actually the reverse. Mm -hmm. Like he's actually the addict, the, the alcoholic or the drug addict who's not willing to listen, who's not willing to listen, but mm -hmm. he sees them as, as the alcoholic or the drug addict. And so he's kind of taking the road, but he doesn't have the humility and the grace to say, but I'm here when you're ready. Mm. And so that's, that's what's missing in that is basically I'm done with you because you're not willing to listen. Yeah. He actually references, <clears throat> I, mean, I don't remember who he references when he says this, but he, he says almost the exact words. Like there are, there are some people that aren't worth talking to mm -hmm. because they're, essentially not intelligent enough to see what, see how I'm right. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, oh, yeah, I think you, the way you phrased it to see well, why I'm right. That's his perspective, I think. Right. And who can, who can, who can have a conversation with somebody like that? Mm -hmm. Cause you, you can't, you, the only way that you will have a, a good conversation or, have a relationship with that person is if you're in, if you defer to them and their rightness. Well, I think that's exactly right. And maybe that's what it, the connecting tie between where we started and in, in mm. this conversation that Sam had with Lex, which is that if you're going to accomplish anything, you have to approach it with some humility. Mm. I'm not quite ready, but let's go. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel quite done, <clears throat> but I don't know how to make it any better. So I'm submitting it to the gaze or the ears mm -hmm. of other people. 
And it doesn't seem like there's anything in Sam's thinking that, that does that. Like you said, that defers to the other viewpoint, even as, as a, uh, as an experiment mm-hmm. to say, let me see what I'm not seeing. Which is almost antithetical to what I hear Peterson talk about, which is, I'm going to tell you something and you're going to tell me why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, like, let me know if this is wrong and let's, let's talk about it. I feel like I hear from Peterson's side uh, and depending on how you have encountered him, but I would say generally speaking, he has that sort of openness to, I could be wrong about this, yeah, but I'm going to speak and put it out in the world and make a, uh, an intelligent and well-formed argument for what I do think, because if I'm wrong, I want someone to tell me that. And there's something, there's a good faith element that I, some, I, I sense more in Peterson where I don't ever, I don't think I've ever heard Sam say, that's a good point. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to think about that. Right. True. And again, I'm so, I'm so impressed with Sam's intellect. I love his, I've, you know, besides the stuff on religion where I feel like he has been very dogmatic, uh, in his thinking, I feel like now he's kind of turned that dogmatic part that he that he had towards any sort of religion or spiritual or, uh, I want to use a different world word too with that. We'll just stick with religion or, or a spiritual kind of aspect to, to life. It's feel like he's now turned it towards his intellectual pursuits as well. Hmm. Like now anybody who doesn't disagree with, or doesn't agree with me is, is talking about the woo and the woo has no place in hmm. my system of logic, even though they might not be speaking of woo. <laughs> That's interesting because there was a, a problem or shortcoming that I saw in his positions that he took on COVID, for example. Hmm. And he says in this podcast with Lex that he's not qualified to have a position on COVID, essentially. Hmm. Um, that he needs to be told a position by people who are qualified to tell him because he's not a virologist, he's hmm. not an epidemiologist, you know, he's not, and he can't really get up to speed on those things. So he needs to defer to the experts. Hmm. And to the extent that the experts disagree with him, he says, well, those aren't the right experts. And this is sort of a, the opposite dogmatic position, Hmm. which actually is instantiating a new religion in place of his atheism against religion. Hmm. And that is, I will, I will trust in the church of, what would you call it? The church of science and government. Well, specific science and government too, or certain interpretation of science and government. Mm -hmm. Because, like, who are the experts? Right. What, what, who determines who the experts are that we should listen to? Who's the expert of the experts? That, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm thinking, didn't the experts get pretty much everything about COVID wrong? Or so the, the chosen experts. The chosen experts. Yeah. And he seems to say something like, given lockdown, for example, well, lockdown is good and would have worked 
if people would have done it, but people won't do it because mm-hmm. they won't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And he is seeming, it seems to me that he's wading into one of two places, either completely removing himself from relationship after relationship and conversation after conversation until he's just a lone voice on his own podcast to his own audience or into some kind of authoritarian totalitarian position of if you disagree with me i i'm going to dismiss you because you clearly aren't qualified to be having the conversation with me Mm. but then to the extent that me dismissing you is allowing you to do things that's harming society Mm. then now you must you're going to have to be dealt with otherwise you're putting my life at risk Mm. And that scares me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what the alternative is to that. Well, I think that's the part where we do see, I do see quite a few people we follow as far as demonstrate like what the, what the opposite of that looks like is having disagreements, even among yourselves where, uh, I just saw, uh, oh shoot, I forgot the other guy's name, uh, Kovac or something like that, but David Sachs, who's on the all in podcast. And, uh, there's this other guy and they both said, uh, they talked about how they kind of really disagree with each other about certain subjects. And then they went on to name, both of them did this certain subjects that they agree with each other on. And I think that's something that Sam is unwilling to do. And, and he wants to set himself apart in a way that he's sort of superior to others. And it, it seems like such a shit thing that kind of feel like I'm shitting on Sam, but it, that's, that's kind of what I, I get from him. Like there's no other, there's nobody he would defer to. Right. Even when he says like, I'll defer to the experts. I don't think I've ever really, I've ever seen him or heard him defer to an expert. Well, but even when he says, I'm going to defer to the experts. No, not those experts. Mm-hmm. He's putting himself as the expert of experts. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I'm going to defer to myself and my own judgment, mm-hmm. you know, and actually that is a, an alternative position if he would frame it that way, which is I'm going to defer to myself and my judgment mm-hmm. and you should do the same. Mm-hmm. That's the alternative. That's freedom. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that seems more honest too. individualism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you should just. I'm, I'm kind of unpacking that because that was kind of there's a lot kind of packed into that. So the idea, let me just say if I, see if I got it right. The idea that Sam sort of has a certain amount of experts that he deems authority in those certain fields, and in order to sort of be in relationship with Sam, then you have to sort of accept those those authorities as your authorities. Right. And you can't choose new authorities because you, mm-hmm. you don't have the expertise to vet the new authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, Sam basically said, well, Brett has his experts that he's chosen, but his experts don't smell pass the smell test for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dismiss those experts. And there's, you know, another thing that happened more broadly, like a, we're spending a bit of an undue t- amount of time on Sam here. Like, well, he's more of as an example, of right? Something an example. 
we're but, kind of talking about. But to broaden that example, um, when COVID first arrived on the scene, uh, we started using PCR tests to determine if you were COVID positive. The man who invented the PCR test said this test should never be used as a diagnostic tool. It's not appropriate to be used to diagnose an illness. Mm. He died like month one of COVID, not of COVID. I think of, I don't know what he died of, or, mm -hmm. but he was dismissed as not the right expert, right? Like who else could be the right expert <laughs> other than the guy who invented the thing? And then there's, or at least a very credible one of many experts right, that we should right. consider. <laughs> and then the same thing happened with the guy who invented the, MRNA, mRNA technology. Mm -hmm. He was Robert Malone. Yep. Robert mm -hmm. Malone. He was determined to not be the proper expert and was ultimately deplatformed mm. for it. So not even just deplatformed, but also to be denied his, um, cont contribution to the MRNA. <laughs> yeah. Know? They attempted to, yeah, whatever that's called. <laughs> Remove that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Discredit him. So it seems like there's a real problem there. Like there is some part of society of which Sam seems to be contributing mm -hmm. that says, well, we know who you, who you should really listen to. You don't know who you should really listen to. Mm -hmm. um, but we do. And this, this brings me back full circle to something I think I said originally, I don't know what, on what episode of this podcast, but that the real problem with censorship isn't that it takes away someone's right to speech. It's that it takes away your right to listen. Mm. Like the position of the censor says, I'm no longer going to allow you to speak because what you're saying is going to cause anyone listening to do things that I have determined bad hmm. or immoral. And so I'm really going to take away everyone's right to think about what you have to say, hmm. take away everyone's right to judge for themselves the situation because they're not smart enough to judge the, the situation. I have to judge it for them. Mm. Otherwise really bad things are going to happen. And that is how something like care for the public good and compassion turns to totalitarianism mm. and, and turns toward something bad. Well, does, let me just take, maybe even try to take that different perspective you know there are i could i understand the argument that there are some things where we need to be told what to do seemingly uh i think in like in the military would be one example you can't have a lot of free thinkers <laughs> when you're going to war you need people to accomplish their their tasks their their orders and and i think there's there's a limit to this but i think in the military you see this most acutely where each person or each unit or each platoon or whatever it might be has a certain task to accomplish and it's tied to a larger goal 
And then that goal is tied to a larger goal. And it might not make sense why you're in this one village doing something because like, what does this accomplish really? But you might be, you actually might be drawing the enemy forces away from an area that is important that you need to be attacking, but they can't let you know that because of, of the possibility that that would get out and then therefore they couldn't attack. Or I think Eric talks about the, um, the, uh, uh, World War II, where they kind of blew up all these fake tanks and act like they were going to invade through Norway or mm-hmm. something like that. I think it was Norway. And, you know, so there's... In there's, order to distract from Normandy. Yeah. Right. In order to distract from Normandy. So there's there's parts where you kind of need, you need people to follow orders in order for the larger thing to work out. In this instance, COVID, you could argue that here's all these things that we need you to do. You might not understand them, but we're the experts and there's a larger thing that's involved in here. And yes, you, you might feel that your, your rights are being, you know, uh, stripped away from from you, you. but there's a larger, there's a larger thing that we're trying to accomplish here. Let me try another example on for you. (laughs) So imagine for some reason Mm -hmm. you all of a sudden have you are in a in flight in a commercial 737 pilot is out of commission and you've got to land this plane Mm -hmm. you're going to get on the intercom with whoever will pick up on the other side and beg them to tell you what to do Mm -hmm. you are it could be the janitor (laughs) well (laughs) anyone who Uh is in an air tower control Mm -hmm is or an air control tower is much more qualified Mm -hmm. to tell you what to do than you are to tell you what to do. Yeah. That's obvious to you. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of lives at stake Mm -hmm. and you're going to follow every order they give you. Mm -hmm. But if the person on the other line into the line starts to sound suspiciously, like they're not actually trying to help you land the plane. Mm -hmm. They're trying to do something else. So they, they say, okay, you know, you're going to do this, flip these buttons. Great. You're going to bank the plane to two degrees this way. You're going to set this bearing here. And then all of a sudden they say, okay, we need you to take off the automatic flight controls and take the stick of the plane and push it hard, right? We need you to invert the 737 Mm. upside down. It's really important that you do this. Mm. You're going to be like, wait is the person that I'm talking to are, are they trying to help me land the plane? And mm-hmm. if so, do they know, actually know what they're talking about? Mm-hmm. Cause that sounds nuts. Mm-hmm. I have never once in my life been on a 737 that's gone inverted. Yeah. You know, which to me is the equivalent of like, okay, the experts are telling us we need to lock down two weeks to slow the curve, you know, all right, let's do it. Sounds mm-hmm. great. Okay. We also need to fill every skate park in with sand wait, what, what does that have to do with anything? And also you, you can't be on the beach. If you're on the beach, we're going to arrest you. Hold, hold on. You know, this is starting to ping my own sense of, wait, do you actually know what you're talking about? Mm. And so I think to be able to question the experts Mm -hmm. is necessary 
when your own sense of judgment is saying these aren't behave what i'm getting does not sound like what an expert would say mm -hmm. it sounds like banana land crazy banana land love it. I, I never heard that before i just made <laughs> that up great. yeah um you know or even just as simple as we need to put four by four plastic dividers between the person who's checking out and you who's trying to pay for something. It's like, that doesn't seem like it makes any sense. There's air flowing just here and just here. You know, this is, seems absurd, mm -hmm. you know? And there was so many of those things that I think that's when people, I think like you and I started to be like, okay, the, those who have been installed as experts don't seem that way to me. And I think for me, it was the, it was the death counts whenever it was so highly above like, like 45, 55, 65, 75. And you were seeing, I was, and then the information that they were talking about just didn't make sense. I was like, why are we doing this for, we obviously know where the, the problem is, is that our elder, our elderly immune compromised are having the problem. And Again, at that time, you and I didn't know what the heck we were talking about, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was the, that was the thing that for me was just sort of like, that doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. especially for younger people. Yeah. Yeah. I think with COVID the first, actually the first thing that started to violate my sense of you're not really an expert mm -hmm. is when they started saying that the most important thing that you can do is not be with your family. And I thought, this violates something in me, which is, if there is someone that I love, and they're sick, mm. my instinct is to go to them and care for them. Yeah. With disregard my own health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they need care. They're sick. Mm -hmm. And now we're being told, no, you need to not do that. Mm. And also... You know, it's probably fine if you go to the grocery store and it's probably fine if you go out and protest for uh, yeah. racism, mm -hmm. but you definitely shouldn't go home for Christmas. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, this doesn't make any rational sense mm. and it violates this sort of like evolutionary urge to care for those around you. Mm. Something's off here. Again, you don't seem to be the expert that you claim to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, the the I guess the problem is how how should things have gone, and how should things go in a society when you have the have people who disagree. It seems like the only thing to do in the face of this problem, which one solution is totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you need to shut up your questions and simply do as you're told. The, the only viable alternative to that is something like a risky future of unknown outcomes. Mm -hmm. People need to be allowed to judge for themselves. And there's going to be a certain amount of negative outcome that comes from that and shared in shared risk that comes from that. 
but I don't know. It just seems so self-evidently better to me for it to be that way than for some singular institution, whether that be government or a science journal to determine the way we're all supposed to live, especially when those institutions are so prone to corruption Mm -hmm. and no one person or group of people are smart enough to figure everything out. I think that was the point. I don't know if Brett made this or somebody talked about this, how we we mentioned at the beginning is like, which experts? And I think that's the hard thing is in our, in this complex society that we live in where people are super specialized in certain areas is that we kind of rely on our, you know, people, ourselves, our community sort of assimilate all that information into possibilities. So, you know, you have, you have different people looking at different aspects of the, the virology part of it, the pandemic aspect, the, um, uh, school system. There's all these parts that we, that we look at that, that we're having to make these decisions about in, in how that's affected our, Okay, let me let me go back to like the whole idea of of which experts that we we tend to defer to, and I think that's for me through all of this that we've gone through is I want to hear both sides of this argument, and it's hard in this area because you can there's certain things that, and I think this is kind of where Sam he always go, he kind of takes a sort of uh, a blown out version of this like. Like flat earthers, okay, that's not really worth getting into. Like, I don't really want to talk to a flat earther, you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, I probably would just it's, I like to talk to anybody, <laughs> but but it, you don't take that very serious, you mm-hmm. know. Or uh, probably up until last year, like you know, aliens coming in, you probably most people kind of stay away from people who mm-hmm. you know were adamant <clears throat> alien believers or something. And, uh, but. So I, I, I kind of understand some of his 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 uh, his arguments against uh, maybe having conversations with certain people, but I've always had this sort of dream. Like I, I was like I was president of the United States, and we're solving all these problems. And I would what I would do is I would call like who is the most well known person in this area? Okay, who's the most well known person that disagrees with that person? Okay, I want them to come in mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's talk this through. And I want to hear them hash it out because honestly, more often than not, I find that it's somewhere in between. There's something that each side adds to it that develops that that gives you more of a rounder perspective of what we're doing. And it almost scares me more when the experts agree. You know, wholeheartedly or it's or it's or it's propose that they all agree like there's a consensus there's global warming right but if you break that apart even within those people who have that there's some sort of global warming happening there's a lot of different opinions of what that actually means Mm -hmm. but they'll throw them in a big group and then they'll tell you what those people mean but if you got all those people in the in the in a room together you would hear the complexities of maybe that what that simple statement actually means so i think that's 
that's kind of where sometimes it breaks down is the interpretation or who is the expert of the experts to tell you what the experts are saying. <laughs> Lex actually does a pretty good job of, of framing this by saying, mm. well, there may be experts, but they generally don't tend to be good the communicators. Mm. And you need good communicators to tell you what the experts are saying. And the communicators then also need to understand what the experts are saying, you know? It, it's sort of a classic translation problem. Mm. Like I read, um, you and I started reading a copy of the Brothers Karamazov. Mm. And I had read that book before, but it was a different translator because the, the original is written in Russian. Mm. And so the English version that we're reading, I, I read one by one translator and then we read it again and I, it was from a different translator. And I remember thinking, this is a totally different book. Mm. It's telling me something completely different the nuances of what you're trying to communicate and the way you choose to do that has a massive effect on outcomes. Mm. And so how do you, well, I don't know what my question is in, in response to that, but it's tough. I mean, I think a lot of people derided, you know, Trump because of his communication style mm -hmm. and his personality and just decided, well, I'm not going to listen to anything you're saying. That's a great example of it. Mm -hmm. Could be that Trump was saying perfectly true things about COVID, but people didn't care. I don't care if it's true. I'm not going to listen to it from his mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to take a Trump vaccine. Trump's out of office. Everyone needs to get the vaccine. You know, you just switch, switch that because of the communicator, not even up because of the experts that might be behind it. Yeah. Or on, on the other side, as far as like Fauci, it's like Fauci could say nothing wrong. Like if Fauci told me to run around naked and, and scream from the top of my lungs and that would keep you safe, it's like that, you would do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting how sometimes we either give people more value than what they're, than what they are saying and, and less value than what they're saying. Like in Trump instance, like there were some things that he didn't communicate well but were true. And there's things that Fauci said that were communicated well, but weren't true. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole thing too. Is like, I mean, that was one thing that was attacked too, is like, do your own research. <clears throat> I think I've grown up understanding that that's what you have to do. You have to think for yourself, take into consideration. Yeah, it's called critical thinking. <laughs> what? We used to be taught it in school. Yeah. It's like, don't, don't trust the establishment. Don't trust, you know, it's like, do your own research, get, get in there and understand, have some sort of grasp of whatever subject or area that you're, you know, obviously we can't do that with everything, but, hmm. but for the most part, we do need to be able to have critical thinking skills and to push back. Yeah. I think that that's. That's kind of what I was getting from listening to Sam mm -hmm. in that interview. And it's what I felt like from the main culture and authority during COVID. Mm -hmm. Don't think for yourself. It's far too dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, you can put yourself at danger. That's fine. But you can't put everybody else at danger by thinking for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel really... Well, it's the word we were using last week when we were talking about gaslighting. I feel demoralized. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to be a free agent in my own life. I need to defer to whoever you, not only defer to someone else, 
but defer to someone else who is going to in turn tell me who to defer to. Mm-hmm. Someone else gets to decide who I defer to. Yeah. Well, I think that's the part where the media has kind of lost its edge is just even to be able to convince people. If someone disagrees with you or doesn't trust you, it's like you should you should have a make a compelling argument in order for them to believe you and to address the actual topics that you are disagreeing with them about instead of like an ad hominem attack. It's It's a really good point. If, if two people agree or sorry, if two people disagree on something, Mm -hmm. if you and I disagree on something, is it my job to convince you that I'm right or to simply tell you that you need to go against what you believe or think and do what I'm asking you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think if I have respect for you, then it is my job to convince you. And if I can't convince you, then I've got to let you go. Mm-hmm. Other, otherwise it's slavery. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enslave you into my point of view and into what I think and take away your freedoms in order to do that. It's just striking to me. That's exactly what that is. It's slavery or it's Um, middle school. I mean, it's sort of, you disagree with me, Matt. I just call you stupid instead of providing an argument or addressing the issues that you have. And you say, well, based on these things, this is kind of where I'm at. Well, here's some other information that you don't have that kind of says that that is wrong. Okay. Well, let's look at that information together. And then something you brought up on, I think the last podcast was, oh, okay, you look at each other's stuff and you kind of find like, oh, well, that's true, that's not true, that's true, that's not true, and you kind of parse those things out, but you're doing that in a, in a dialogue rather than <clears throat> just shut up and trust me, I'm the expert. Mm-hmm. I mean, up until probably the 70s or 80s, maybe, like that would have been just seen as like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's like where now we've turned into like, just believe whatever the government tells you to believe mm-hmm. in and yeah that's true it seems so weird to me <laughs> but you and i also are probably a little bit more antagonistic probably and push against stuff in general it's like why that's funny <laughs> that is one of my favorite words but antagonistic <laughs> no why oh why <laughs> um i don't consider myself antagonistic though but well, you can come in a, in a, in a, in a place like that, you can come across as antagonistic sure. because you're not, you're not following the status quo. Well, that's totally true. I'm just immediately thinking about the last time right at the end of wearing masks when you and I <laughs> were in an airport in Mexico <laughs> and I just completely refused to, to do it <laughs> yes. to all of these people that didn't speak English in a foreign country. <laughs> in a foreign country. <laughs> Yeah. Afterward, I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have behaved that way. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose that it is antagonistic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's okay. So something else Brett said is that not Brett, sorry. Sam said Mm -hmm. is that his biggest concern was not so much what we ended up doing about COVID because he admitted COVID didn't end up being that bad. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm much more concerned with what we're going to do when the next one comes, which is much worse. And I'm not sure if I'm agreeing or disagreeing with him here, but that seems to stress to me the importance of 
us having a healthy understanding and open dialogue as a society about what constitutes freedom and a non-totalitarian authoritarian uh, way forward. Mm -hmm. Because if there is another pandemic, which surely there will be, I mean, pandemics are endemic of (laughs) time and history. I really wanted you to rhyme more on that one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No pandemics happen. They're going to happen again. And it might be one that's worse. So we're going to have to do this differently next time. Mm-hmm. And well, how are we going to do that differently? And I don't hear a lot of talk about that. Well, I don't want to make this into a Democrat Republican thing, but, <laughs> but I will, but I will. I mean, and that's the hard thing is cause like you and I kind of sit in the center here and, uh, this kind of makes me seem more conservative or Republican, but I'm really thankful that the Republicans are forming a committee to look into how we handled COVID. You know, that wasn't happening. Oh, are they? Uh-huh. I wasn't aware. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's encouraging. Okay. What happened? And hopefully they will do it in a, in a good way. It's sort of like, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? And not just be a blame Democrat type thing. Cause that's going to mm-hmm. be bullshit again. Yeah. So, but at least it's happening. At least there's like, let's, let's, let's address these issues. And I'm sure probably someone will turn into like, let's hang Fauci kind of stuff and it'll be grandstanding, but at least we're moving into the direction of like, let's assess what happened. Well, to respond directly to your desire, not to wait, you know, make it about Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. I think you and I both agree that the left and the right take turns Mm. carrying the authoritarian mantle. Yeah. And Right now, the left is carrying it. Mm. You know, the next time something to the extent and depth of COVID happens, it may be the Republicans carrying it at Mm -hmm. that point. So this isn't about the left is right or the right is right or Mm. left is wrong or the right is wrong. It's that, well, it seems to be that something about human nature causes us to go causes societies to bend pathologically toward authoritarianism Hmm. and the brilliance and miracle of the west is that we actually set forth a hypothesis of how to stay away from that Mm -hmm. and now we're struggling with it again Mm -hmm. and that's why i want to have and to hear more conversations about this like what what does it mean that you like I saw Jordan Peterson tweet something the other day in response to somebody talking about animal rights. And he said, there's no such thing as animal rights. A right requires reciprocity. Hmm. Your right is my responsibility. Hmm. It requires a mutual relationship. Hmm. And in that sense, in that definition, animals can't have rights. Although, it's like, if I say something about animal rights, you know exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like we agree that we have a moral obligation to treat animals well, Yeah. but that doesn't mean that the animals have a right to that treatment. Mm. Just like an animal, we don't have an, a right to animals treating us a certain way. Oh, true. You know, <laughs> th- that, that would require that animals were responsible to us. Mm. They had a responsibility to us, but they don't. Mm. Um, so, and, and what is the, what is sort of that formula when it comes to, well, if we disagree, 
but for us to move forward and we must move forward, we have to collaborate with each other Mm -hmm. is the solution that one of us has to in good faith, forthrightly convince the other person and change and cooperate and compromise? Or is it, Oh no, sorry. See, see my credentials. I'm the expert here. So you're going to do what I say. Mm -hmm. That isn't to treat well, to treat you as a, well, the presupposition of the Western hypothesis is that the individual is the divine focal point mm-hmm. and should be treated with the highest respect and responsibility. That's what, that's where the rights derive from. Yeah. They're not given by the government. They derive right. in the individual. Yeah. Yes. And so, if I say, no, I'm the expert, you're going to do what I tell you to do. That isn't the West. Mm-hmm. And that isn't a good way forward. And I think we need to remember that because it isn't about a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it isn't only about different ways of governance. It's about losing that core hypothesis that the, that the individual is, is just that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about that. I mean, even uh, like the individual is sovereign. There's something that's unique and uh, almost divine about the individual. And there's something to protect those, the individual's right. And then at the same time, it's also a responsibility that we have to our community. And I think that's part of the balance between the individual and the community. And I would say probably in the West, we probably err too much in, on the individual, although that, I think that's coming into uh, uh, somewhat of a, I, w- I would almost disagree with it, maybe in our, our common error uh, that we're in right now, as far as putting the, this, the, the group over the individual. Because I think that's a common thing where East and West, like well, in the East, you, the, in the East, you, you you value the community over the individual. In the West, we value the individual over the community, more or less. And well, it's like radical individualism, mm-hmm. radicalized individualism, has reemerged as group assignment, hmm. like. your intersectional identity is broadly grouped into, let's say one of two binaries. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit ironic, but it's like, you're either hetero, cis, straight, whatever, or LGBTQ plus. Mm -hmm. The plus is there to umbrella anything else, even though all of those identities are at odds with one another. Mm You know, and here's another one that kind of blew my brain. I don't know when uh, when I heard this or who, who was making the point, but like they asked the question, is Barack Obama black? Hmm. Oh, interesting. I heard that too. Because <clears throat> his dad is, mm-hmm. but his mom's white. So is he black or white? Is it heritage? Is it lineage? Is that what race or or is about? Or is it simply about color mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter whether or not you are partly descended from 
somebody who landed here on the Mayflower. I, th- I find that I find that conversation truly fascinating because you know there are um, I don't know if you call it mixed couple or it sounds so weird to even say mixed couple like a a, a black man a white woman or a white man a, white, a black woman or whatever it's like it's if one daughter or our son is is white looking and the other son or daughter is black is one black and one white just by you know and we do it by color of skin or is is it which side of the, their parental heritage they identify with. Mm-hmm. Which gets you in, really quickly into playing a really dirty game, mm-hmm. which we used to call it the one drop policy. <laughs> one drop. I never heard that. If you have one drop of, hmm. I, I'm nervous to even say what words, but black blood or whatever, mm-hmm. then you don't, you're, you're three fifths of a vote essentially. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. That was a horribly racist thing to do. Mm-hmm. But then if you're, now reassigning you're saying well my my dad's black my mom's white i could maybe pass for either should i be able to decide which one i identify as in order to have the best life Mm -hmm. and start assigning my value based upon that skin color Hmm. and that's the core of racism that's interesting yeah it's like prior probably 34 years ago specifically i guess 50 you know in that situation, most likely somebody would have identified as white because it, it provided you with more privilege. However, right. today it, it would you to identify as black. You would, you would, you would, uh, it would provide you with more privilege when the real answer should be, you're not black. You're not white. Mm-hmm. You are a person. Yeah. You are an individual mm-hmm. and each individual should be treated with the same amount of respect toward their value as a human as everyone else yeah their character and that doesn't mean that at any given moment you are deserving of respect Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that at any given moment you have just as much value as anybody else Mm. but we value your potential for being human the same that we value every other one everyone Mm -hmm. else's and for something like skin color or sexual orientation or sex itself, the sex binary mm-hmm. to start adding to the scales of value is antithetical to the Western ideal, the Western hypothesis. Hmm. I think that's hard because like today we have muddled so many things that probably have little merit i mean like skin color what does skin color really tell you about a person not much eye color what does that tell you about a person not much but the male female that tells you there's a lot of information in that in that you know this person is capable of having a baby um testosterone estrogen typically men are this way and typically women are this way so i feel like sometimes we've muddled so many things that we actually can't pay attention to the, to the information that actually helps us move into the future. Um, you know, where if we spend so much time on whatever way that I am, uh, disadvantaged, whether it be, uh, by the color of your skin or, 
socioeconomically. Well, let's see. There's, there's, I was trying to think of things that were not really, I'm going to step back from there. Cause I'm, I'm not sure exactly where I was going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many, too many roads for me to go. On well, that we're one. talking about a really big idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to it. But I, as I've said, I think it needs to be talked about mm-hmm. because we need to be reminded of how complex it is and how much nuance there is in, in it and how easy it is for us to slip off of one of the, one or the other side. Oh, so true. And even, even when I was saying like, you know, socioeconomically, so, well, no, there's, there's some things that you are at a disadvantage in certain ways and the complexities of it that you have to kind of address some of those things because... At the same time, you need to be able to, we all have a certain situation that we're born into and there are disadvantages almost to any situation. Like you could argue maybe the rich person, but honestly, that's, that's a huge disadvantage to be born into to totally. a rich family. Most rich families are poor within three generations. Mm-hmm. And not only that is like whenever you are afforded everything that you want, you don't know what it means to strive and to be in want and to have a work ethic. Generally speaking, there are those who are rich that do, but you know, that definitely there's, I think there's definitely some incentive to being someone who has grown up having to work hard and, mm-hmm. and to find their way and be creative, which is why most first generation immigrants are mm-hmm. extraordinarily successful. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we're all born with a unique set of disadvantages, mm-hmm. which is the same thing as to say we're all born with a unique set of advantages. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is why <clears throat> we need to have rights which are reciprocal. And part of my responsibility to your rights might, might look like helping you. Mm-hmm. And part of my responsibility to your rights might look like not helping you and saying, you need to seize your freedom and do with it what you would like to do with it. Yeah. And if that's nothing, then fine. Yeah. That can be a position of respect. Yeah. It's like equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think that, I think that is a worthy goal is to try to provide the opportunity for as many people as we can. I was thinking about that idea of equality of outcome the other day and was reminded of, um, that scene. Have you ever read a wrinkle in time? So there's that scene where, uh, what is the main character? That girl's name, Meg, Meg. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even know how, why I remember that. She arrives in that place, in that neighborhood, mm. and every house is the same. Yeah. And then all at the same time on cue, little kids come out and start bouncing balls. Mm-hmm. But the balls all hit and bounce at the same exact time. Yeah. And then the moms all come out at the exact same time and call them in for dinner. And they mm. all on cue. And it has this very uncanny, sinister mm-hmm. feel to it. And... That's ultimate equality of outcome. Mm. It's not interesting. It's terrifying. Yeah. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You also don't want injustice. Mm -hmm. And I think whatever it is that's in between, like the ultimate state, the, the most desirable state is something that does feel like a struggle. It feels mm. a bit chaotic. It feels unfair, but it's good because you can be an individual. You can be who you are mm -hmm. and you can strive. You can try and you can fail. You can succeed and be rewarded. Yeah, I think that's something that entrepreneurship has kind of taught me is that there is no guarantee that you're going to succeed. However, there is the opportunity for you yeah. to try. <clears throat> right. And I think that's the, I think that's the hard thing. And there's tons and tons of things you can blame <laughs> that you didn't succeed, <laughs> but at least there's the, the opportunity. And I think that's the hard thing is if you, if you want to just get by in life and not have any sort of struggle, in the U.S., that's it's there, but I, I don't think you can ever you can ever really get you can never go through life without struggle or pain or loss, mm -hmm. and that's an illusion. And so, what do you do with that? I think that's something that has to be built into the system that those who kind of push into that that pain and the struggle, you know, you might fail. And that's a part of it. And it's something that you learn and accept. And then, but there's also, I feel like there's a certain, certain amount of a safety net, but you have to, so here, here, this is, this might be too long for where we are right now, but I feel like there's a certain amount that you have to accept on your risk level. So if you're willing to risk more and step out on that ledge further and further, you know, start your own business or whatever it might be. The, the risk that you might fail and go broke and have to go maybe work construction or, or whatever it might be. But in the U S there's actually somewhat of a safety net. You might lose your, you know, three car garage and, <laughs> and pool in the back, but there is still opportunity here to, to, to kind of catch you in a way. But, you have to be willing to, to do that. Or you can just find something that you're that, that you enjoy doing or something that, that puts foot on the table and you can go and do that, but you're not going to drive a Ferrari, you know, or have a, a pool in the backyard. Like there's, there's limitations, there's trade-offs mm -hmm. for, for the amount of risks that you're willing to take. And if you're a low risk person, then, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain trade-off that you have for that. Because that safety comes with, you know, uh, kind of maybe more control or, or more safety around you because, you know, you might just need someone to push a button or something like that, <laughs> but that button needs to be pushed. You said there's a certain amount you have to accept. Mm -hmm. Oh, we talk about trade-offs. Well, and I think what it is that you ultimately have to accept is that you are a person with consciousness and a conscience mm -hmm. and the ability to act on the world. Mm -hmm. With that comes risk. With that comes loss. With that comes success. With that comes suffering. Mm. That's who you are. Every morning when you wake up, that's 
your potential. Mm. And that's what you have to accept. You have to accept yourself. You have to accept your set of disadvantages and you have to accept your set of opportunities. And you have to accept that you have the ability to use all of that for good mm. and respond to that call which is where we started tonight talking about, well, I'm not ready. Well, maybe you're as ready as you're going to be. Maybe you're much readier than you think. And you have to accept that and say, okay, and step out onto the stage and allow what's going to happen to happen. Hmm. Yeah so much reminds me of kids it's like you as a parent i think as a healthy parent you want your kids to go out and to take risks and that you want to be there for them when sometimes or a lot of times it doesn't work out for them right an unhealthy parent doesn't want their kids to go out and take risks they want them to be safe they want them to not make those choices that might cause them harm emotionally, physically or whatever. And so I think that's something that as an individual, I can see that it's healthy that we need to go out there and that risk, take those risks. And, and it means something for different people. You know, it might be building a rocket for one person or it might be, uh, you know what, I'm going to show up today and I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it my best. I don't know what my best is. I want to see what my best is, yeah, but I'm going to risk that because if I risk attempting my best and I fall short of that, you know, that could be humiliating or it could be, I learn that I'm not as good as I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you learn that you're much better than you thought you were. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, when, when you referenced, you said it reminds you of children hmm. reminded me of something, which I said before, which is that, the problem with being a parent is that the second you create a rule from you, for your kids, they've already outgrown it. Mm. And so another thing that you have to accept is that you are going to be constantly struggling with what are the right rules mm. to produce the desired outcome. What is the desired outcome to struggle with that too? Mm. You know, at first it's something like, safety and survival for your, your kids. And then later on the desired outcome turns into, I want them to be active, productive, creative individuals. So your desired outcome changes. And so does the rule set. And, and as those things are successful, it changes the whole dynamic and the whole formula. And so you have to struggle with it. And I think the same is true of you as an individual and the same is true of societies in general. So you have to struggle through getting better and you have to struggle through getting worse. Mm -hmm. And the right and the left need to struggle over that. Yeah. That's why it's so valuable to have those opposing viewpoints and everything in between is because somewhere in that we've we kind of are able to test and approve what is good. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to, maybe the Sam Harris thing, which makes me sad about him is he's basically saying, Oh no, there's people aren't worth talking to. I'm not going to engage in the struggle. Mm -hmm. 
there's value in the struggle. Mm-hmm. It might be the only place there is value. And he might be superior. And but I've looked up to you know Brett and Elon and Sam specifically in this conversation that we're talking about. All three of those, I feel like they all three have something to bring to the table. So it does definitely disturb me that Sam doesn't think Brett or Elon have something to bring to the conversation. It makes me think he's being narrow minded because they all, they three bring different things to the table. Yeah. That might be a good place to end it. Yeah. That sounds good. Bring it to the table. Bring it to the table. (laughs) All right. We love you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That was weird. That was awesome. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.